Hey guys, uh, this week's regular episode has been preempted. I got some sad news a couple days ago. Howard Sonny Gilbert had passed away. Uh, Sonny was one of the first interviews I did with the podcast, and I'd never met him prior to that, but he came in, a ball of fire, so charismatic and naturally funny, and we just sat down and had a great time. Really interesting guy. And over the course of the next couple of years, I got a chance to get to know him a little better. I, I'd bump into him when the Gilberts invade Eagle River every summer. And uh, I went out to Palm Desert to interview Bob Holub and Jerry Weinstein at Bob's house. And I look up and there's Jerry Weinstein and then there's Sonny Gilbert all hanging out together. And so... He came along for that, and he helped kind of liven that episode up. He was the old veteran by that point, so he'd already done a podcast, and he kind of walked those guys through it. And then uh, just a couple of months ago, I guess it's been six or seven, but it seems like just yesterday, uh, I went over to his house just before OJ90, and I filmed a a little joke that he told, a little story about Al Schwartz that we ended up using in the uh, honoree video for Al beforehand. And just so funny, just such a naturally funny guy. And we had a great time and I know he had a great time at the event. And so in lieu of a regular episode today, I thought I would just play the interview and, uh, nothing special, no intro music. That's it. So here we go. Sonny Gilbert on the Camp Ojibwe history podcast. Record. Yes. Uh, please state your name and years at camp. Okay. My first year, I'm, I'm Howard Gilbert, but I was known as Sonny uh, at camp. That was a name my mother and father gave me when I was born. I had a brother who was named Brother and a sister who was named Sister, and they <laughs> ran out of things <laughs> when I came along, so they called me Sonny. Uh, my first year at camp was 1933. And uh, at that time, my father had taken quite ill, and Pearl and Al said, Sonny, you should come up to camp. They came for one month. Mm. And I came in 1933 and uh, invited as their guest, had their nephew at camp. I was there one month in 33 or for four weeks. One of the first four-week campers, I think, perhaps. Right, just absolutely. Just think about that. They did. <laughs> Everyone else stayed for eight weeks, but I just stayed for four. Uh, then I did not go in 34, 35, and I think I came back in 36, but I'm not 100% sure. And I stayed from 36 up until uh, the war years. I went to, in the service in 19, the summer, the uh, winter of 1943. Mm. So I missed 43, 44. I got out of the service in August of 45 and went immediately to Camp Ojibwe. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately to Camp Ojibwe, where they welcomed me as a returning war veteran. And I spent in 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51. And in 51, uh, the owner of Camp Agawak, Mm -hmm. a woman by the name of Pinkhurst, came to Al and said, Al, would you be interested? I want to get out of the camp. Would you be interested in buying the camp? And um, Al said, no, I really not. I think my nephew might be. And that was, uh, 
in the beginning of 52, in early 52, February of 52, I went up to Monaco, Wisconsin, and bought Camp Agawak. Wow. So I stayed at Camp Agawak from 52 to 59 when I sold the camp. And uh, then started going post-camp uh, at Ojibwa. <laughs> and we've been going back almost every year. Uh, we have uh, my nephew, Steve mm-hmm. Elrod, as you know, has a house there. And my son, Jim Gilbert, and I rent a house. And my nephew, Jerry Gilbert, rents a house. And we have a number of the Gilberts come up there every year. And in fact, we'll be going uh, this year again, the end of, usually, it's sometime in July. Mm. We go for a week. Wonderful. And spend time up there. Well, that's so fantastic. That's, that's, that's a, long, a long association, perhaps <laughs> longer than anyone else I can think of. Absolutely. Who's alive, uh, they're not alive right now, who would have as long a period of association with Ojibwe. Yeah, that's true. It starts in 33. Uh, for me, one of the great things about the project is um, I didn't know Al and Pearl. I, my first summer at camp was the year Al died. Oh, so really? um, mm. I never had a chance. But of course, mm. you can't be at camp very long at all without feeling his influence mm-hmm. and knowing his name and, and understanding what that is. So one of the joys of this project for me is to get to know Al through the eyes of everyone else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, you had a specific relationship because of being related. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about Alan Pearl, especially in the, when you're younger in those early days. Well, it was, uh, I, I must confess to you, Chris, I'm 91 now. And the memory is not what it used to be. I was thinking, what am I going to tell Chris about? I don't remember half the things that went on back then. <laughs> but, uh, I, in fact, just the other day I looked at a picture. Alan Pearl used to have the family over for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I think, for we had some satyrs. They're the Passover seder. And I was looking at a picture just the other day. There were 20 of us in the picture. And five of us were living. Oh, including wow. Mickey and Ellen, who were Al's son and daughter, right. who I used to babysit for when they lived at the <laughs> at the Sharon Hotel on Sheridan Avenue near Montrose, I think it was. <laughs> and I used to babysit for them. And uh, they were a wonderful couple, great dancers. They used to be, go, belong to the Covenant Club, and they'd be at many parties there, and they danced very beautifully together. Mm. They were a wonderful couple. They really led a wonderful life. They enjoyed, Al loved camping. And he did. He built a great camp, really yeah. one of the great camps. And he always said, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game, which I don't think he really believed. <laughs> 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 Winning was very important to Al Schwartz. <laughs> he, he hated to lose. And whether it was when he played the game himself or uh, when we were in competition with other camps, mm. winning was, was the answer. But he always said, doesn't matter whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. <laughs> but uh, no, Al was a great leader. Uh, people had great respect for him because he showed respect for other people too. I mean, he really, uh, he, he was always accessible. Mm. Uh, he was tough, a very tough competitor. Um, I remember uh, one of his camp counselors, a guy named Larry Guilford, he used to, and Al played tennis. He liked tennis. And Larry was a good tennis player. And Larry was a counselor. And uh, he would, at rest period, he would come to Larry's cabin and say, let's get to work. And he'd be out, say, Larry wanted to rest, but he said, no, Al took him out and had to play tennis. Uh, Another little recollection. But um, no, as I say, uh, Alan Pearl ran a wonderful camp. They were respected in the camping industry. 
well-known um, by people like Muggs Lorberg, who run the Bagabon, and the other campers, the Wassermans and mm. so on, uh, who were in the camping business. And there was a uh, quite a federation, especially among the Jewish campers, I mean, the, sure. the, the, who ran the camp. <laughs> I'll never forget when I bought Camp Agawak, uh, Muggs Lorberg, who had uh, Menominee, not Menominee, uh, oh, God. The girls' camp was Chickagami and was a boys' camp. Mm. Muggs Lorberg, he had a, camp, a lot of campers out of St. Louis. He was an old timer, great guy. But he said to me, Sonny, he said, You cannot run a girls' camp and be single. Get married. <laughs> and I was at the, time <laughs> I, at the time I bought camp, I was not married. But shortly after that, I did get married. <laughs> and my wife was very involved with Camp Agawa. Mm. But we're not talking about Agawa, we're talking about Ojibwa. And some of the early recollections, which I was thinking about, uh, we used to take a train mm. up to camp. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, yeah. they, they used to take a Northwestern train, Pullman train at night. We got in the Pullman, and you'd share a Pullman, uh, <laughs> three of us, two in the lower bunk, one in the upper bunk, mm. and come up to camp and come right into Eagle River at the train station, the Northwestern train station. Wow. And that's how we went back and forth to camp until we... Uh, we started using the Keishan buses, buses and mm. uh, ran up to camp. Yeah, I've definitely heard that name a lot. Uh, Keishan, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Keishan, uh, yeah, he was an interesting guy. Let's see, what else? What do we want to talk about now? Well, uh, it's interesting uh, talking about the beginning of camp. You know, often I like to try to see if people had camp calls or whatever, but because you're related to those guys, it was just a given. They, mm. they opened the doors and had you come right up to camp. Um, can you remember sort of what the camp day was like as a as a camper, sort of yeah. how the day Every went. Dip or shower in the morning. You, for that expression, you'd have dip or shower. You'd sure. come down naked to the waterfront and you'd uh, do exercises. And Al would have exercise every morning. And then he'd encourage you to take that dip. If not, you go to the shower house. But uh, at that time, there was no shower house down on the lakefront at all. There was just the one next door to, uh, attached to the mess hall mm-hmm. was the only um, only showers, and like maybe a, maybe a half dozen showers or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But you washed in the lake, and that was it. And uh, then the scrub on. I'm trying to think. A scrub was there. We used to. I know I had scrub at Agawak. They'd. Girls would come down on Saturday morning for scrub, and I was not allowed on the waterfront then, but they would be like, I'm trying to think if we had a scrub at Ojibwe. I don't remember that. Mm. But today was uh, typical. We'd always line up for uh, before going into the dining room, into the mess hall, and they don't do that anymore. It's, that was a sh- sort of a shock to me when I first realized she just walked in, had a buffet, and totally different. Yeah, we only do one weighted meal mm-hmm. now, although yeah. I believe that we're changing that this year. We're actually going to go back and try to expand that again. So it'll oh, be, really? I think, three this Yeah, a because week this uh, the main, you used to go in the dining room, and uh, that's where you'd lined up the activities for the day. Richie Bergson, I think, uh, I'm trying to think. Sam Rowe was the first waterfront director. I don't know if you heard of the name Sam Rowe. Mm. He uh, was there for many, many years. He's a New Yorker. And uh, he and uh, I guess Richie Berkson was at that time. Maybe Richie came a little later as head counselor. And Richie would tell the schedule for the day, you know, and Al would talk to you and uh, there'd be cheers in the dining room and uh, all that type of thing. Uh, after you had breakfast, 
go back to your cabin, there's always cleanup and uh, get ready for inspection. And you always tried to be wind inspection because it meant maybe you meant a trip to town or something like sure. that. Sure. <laughs> if, if you want inspection. And then morning activities uh, divide into probably two different activities in the morning. And then always uh, go to the waterfront uh, after that. Mm. Uh, there's, I'm trying to think of always competitive, though. There was Watermelon League and then. They started, the Watermelon League was even before Collegiate Week. I'm trying to think of when the first Collegiate Week was. I'm assuming it was sometime in the late 30s, but I don't know. Okay, Do so it wasn't there when you started. I don't, I, that's the question I've been asking around. I know there's a plaque from 40 or 41 or 42 that is a Collegiate Week winner mm-hmm. plaque. Um, I don't know that I've seen any older. Well, maybe maybe did so. Maybe I, I said maybe the late 30s or very early 40s is yeah. when I assumed that Collegiate Week started. That, that was a very, very big thing. It continues today to be a still, big thing. Still, it's amazing. Huh? 75 years later, and it's still the, the <laughs> biggest thing at Camp Ojibwe. 75, my God. I started in 33, so how many years ago was that? That's uh, got to be... 82 or so? 80, oh, my God. Yeah, it's 82 because I was nine years old. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> 82. God, it's a long time, Chris. <laughs> uh, no, uh, camp was... Uh, the camp reunions afterwards are always an important part of uh, had reunions of the, at the Covenant Club. Mm. Uh, do they still have reunions? Uh, I think it's a little less formal. I don't know that there's sort of one big event, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of social events that now um, there's sort of an alumni association and there's different connections with camp that will set up, you know, camp mm-hmm. will have a little house party here or uh-huh. uh, a new camper party here where they invite all the... Uh, I don't think fellows like uh, I'm still contemporaries of mine are a fellow like Bob Hollow. The Hollow family was a big family at one time, like mm. the Bartlesteins, you know, a, a clans which yeah. came there. I don't know if you interviewed a Bartlestein, but at one time there were a lot of Bartlesteins at the camp, as there were Hollows too. That was the two largest families, I think, that attended camp. Uh, every time I get together with Bob Hollow, and he's, we have a place out in California that we go to in the winter, escaping these. Cold Chicago. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and uh, um, one of the things about that sort of period of time, the 30s and the early 40s, is um, in uh, in the early 50s or so, camp really gets pretty close structurally to what it looks like now. Mm-hmm. Like most right of the after major, I left. Right. Most of the major. <laughs> so I guess my last one of my. was 51. One of my questions is what are the things that weren't there yet? Were there already 12 cabins? Uh, oh, I was there. When, uh, there were twelve. Yeah, there were no uh, cabin eleven. Twelve is the new one. Along is that twelve? No, thirteen. That's the new thirteen. One. Mm-hmm. There were twelve cabins. Then they built thirteen. Then they built the Daz Lodge, and the Daz Lodge was the Daz Lodge up until I don't know, when they converted to a cabin. Yeah, I, I think, think it's, it's in the eighties that they converted. It, really? It. Yeah. Okay, because uh, that was uh, number of. Fathers used to love to come up and I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> act like kids act like campers <laughs> again and, and get a broke strain their backs or whatever it may be, something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, but the rec hall, was the rec hall there? Yeah, the rec hall has been there for a lot of years. Okay. Uh, that was expanded. We added a stage to the rec hall. Uh, we added the cabin, the side 
uh, where the medicine man, I don't know if that's the medicine man office or where the canteen was distributed. Mm -hmm. That was on the little side office. That was, that was added. Um, but the rec hall was there. But we, Al put an addition on it with the stage. I don't know when they discontinued it, but minstrel shows were a very, very big thing at yes. Ojibwe. And that was, uh, Al felt it was uh, politically, uh, what's, the, what's the word to you? It, it, it was a bad connotation to have a minstrel show. And mm. so we discontinued that. But we had wonderful, <laughs> one fellow every time I see him, how do you feel, son? I said, I feel great. How's that like the inside of a stove? It was one of those <laughs> jokes we used <laughs> at, every, at every minstrel show. I, was, I did a lot of the interlocutor things. Oh, wow. That, it, that, that was my thing at camp. To, I edited the Medicine Man, wrote the Medicine Man with Kevin of Dick Ellisberg, who's okay. no longer living. In fact, his brother Richie Ellisberg is also gone. The two Ellisberg boys were there, but uh, Richie uh, wrote the Medicine Man together with him. Tully Friedman. I don't know if you heard that name. Mm -mm. Tully was um, a fencer uh, at the University of Chicago. Went on to Hollywood, became a film writer, and um, tried to think of some of the things that he did. But he was a great storyteller, great storyteller, and uh, Tully was good there. But as I say, the minstrel show is a very big thing. It's now called a variety show. What do they put on each year? Uh, yeah, we call it the Jubilee now. The and Jubilee. It's, it's definitely different. But I, I'm mm -hmm. very interested in that. My my background is uh, I'm a theater guy. I'm a theater mm -hmm. director. That's what I did mm -hmm. my master's in. Oh. And so uh, I sort of came to camp on mm -hmm. working with the music and the drama program mm -hmm. and that sort of aspect. Um, and to me, when I got there and found out we were doing the camp had done a minstrel show and done it into the '60s, like I was just you know I knew about minstrel shows, but mm -hmm. I was shocked that yeah. it had gone that long. Um, but the idea, um, it's fascinating to me to hear about sort of when it was in its heyday, especially mm -hmm. sort of the earlier years. Mm -hmm. And Oh, yeah, it was a very, very big thing. And we did many, many years in a row. And had uh, wonderful choral group. Uh, we developed a great choral group with it and sang mm -hmm. wonderful arrangements of some of the show tunes we put them on. We had a good piano players and did a lot, a lot of wonderful things on the theater. And I, mm -hmm. I was responsible for a lot of that stuff back then. Many many years ago, but um, hmm. I wrote down some names here. But uh, the names are not important, I guess. But uh, Sal Farber, Richie Bergson, Eli Sudik, Sam Rowe, Bob Harrison, Sid Yates, Eddie Ellisberg, Ernie Krasnow, Bert Klein. The Imaginators. You ever hear of the Imaginators? Uh, I talked with Barry Feldman, who's Monty's son. Yes. And so he gave me a little fill-in about them. Uh -huh. I didn't know too much, but uh -huh. please tell me well, more. They, no, no, they, they originated at Ojibwa uh, when they started, and uh, they went on to really fame. They played the Shea Paris in Chicago, and mm. I guess Barry could have told you about that. Monty was a great loss. Monty was a avid, avid camera, together with Bob Hollum, about Monty Feldman, Bob Hollow, Richie Raymer. Um, Bob Lubin was never at camp, though, but he was part of that group. Mm. So going back a little bit to uh, your camper experience, uh, as far as sports go in those mm -hmm. days, did you have, were, were the leagues sort of, uh, what's the word I want to ask? Was it very organized? Uh, yeah, the, a watermelon league was almost every night there was a watermelon league. 
Uh, I was not a great athlete. My my forte was in the the uh, sports, the field, uh, track and mm. track and field. Mm-hmm. I was a fairly good uh, track man, and uh, so I did that and did the long jumps and things like that. At that time, we also had, which we don't have anymore, is boxing. Yes. Uh, boxing was 16-ounce uh, gloves. You'd hardly lift a glove. It was so heavy. <laughs> but every Thursday night, there was boxing, at, and, and the ring was right in back of where probably about cabin seven, just before you go to the field there. there was, mm. The ring was set up there. And boxing was big. In fact, I had a memento from boxing. I was boxing once with a guy named Corky Corman. Corky was an excellent athlete and a good boxer, too. And, in fact, he ducked and came with his head and oh. hit me under here and killed this front tooth. And I had a dead front tooth for up many years. Finally, I had it replaced, but it started turning a little dark. But boxing was good, and as I say that, we don't have any more. Uh, I don't know how extensive Saturday morning with track and field is. To, is it still today? No, uh, the only real track and field we do now is when we do the track meet with the Olympics and with Collegiate Week. Oh, no, no. Every Saturday morning there was track. Oh. Yeah, there was, uh, and uh, next like Sunday morning was the swim meet. Track meet was on Saturday morning. The swim meet was on Sunday morning. Okay. And uh, so we had uh, the long jump. We had a high jump. We had the 50-yard dash. Um, and I think we'd all compete uh, by cabins at that. Mm. I think it was a competition at that time from cabins. Did you do like, but, a, like a shot put? Or did shot put also, absolutely. Uh, one guy, Hank Olsen, that's the name out of the past. I thought of that. He was a big shot. In fact, he did shot put in college. Oh, I don't know oh. where he went to college, but he was shot put, Hank Olsen. Hmm. And he would, we did shot put. And, uh, of course, baseball was always a big thing and trying to hit the ball over the mesh hall or into the lake. Not too many could do that, but Richie <laughs> Burson, who I mentioned, used to do that. Mm. And I think Sal Farber was a long hitter. Uh, they were names. Uh, um, In those days, softball was really sort of the camp sport. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 16-inch. Yeah. 16-inch softball. And... And they play today, 16 Absolutely. Oh. Uh, basketball is, has sort of taken over as the dominant sport of oh, really? the more the one the kids are more interested mm-hmm. in, but certainly 16 years softball is still yeah. trademark Ojibwa, for that's, sure. That's right. Because, uh, yeah, uh, the uh, I remember when they first put in the tennis courts, which became also the basketball courts on the far field there. Hmm. And uh, the original courts were in back of the... Um, Dad's Lodge. Right. And they expanded that and put the new courts down there. Um, and what you're talking about, those new courts, that's what we call the trail courts now. The trail um, people, Yeah, so for for those of you listening, uh, mm-hmm. the current camp, the far field is, is, I mean, the far field's in the same place, but mm-hmm. we've put more basketball courts between those courts and the far field now, oh, call, and we call those the Patriot courts. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we, and that's just part of the gro- that's part of basketball being so popular. They mm-hmm. needed to have more courts and mm-hmm. lights and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and the number of campers has certainly increased over mm-hmm. the years. Uh, I think when I first went to camp, I think we had about a hundred campers, mm-hmm. if there was that many. 
But then it grew. I think today it's something like 250 kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, 250. Yeah, that's about the ballpark. Mm-hmm. In in your day, so were the age groups, the way we do it now is there's age groups mm-hmm. that are split up, and that's how the, the sports leagues are figured out with the age groups. Were there, were you separated by age, or were there, was it just sort of everybody plays? You know, I'm trying to think of that. I, I don't think there was, the teams are made up of the total campers. There were some very young campers. You know what, I, Chris? I don't remember how that worked. I'm curious. I'm just curious. I know that um, plaque-wise, that when with that, that era, you just see the plaques that say "Watermelon Champion," but you don't mm-hmm. really see like juniors or midgets or any of the mm-hmm. sort of phrases yeah. for the younger. Well, they had the midgets, and the, there was a midget competition, junior competition, senior competition type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think how that worked. I guess that was in the track meets and the swim meets, but I'm not sure of the teams. Hmm. Um, I, I honestly don't remember. Sorry. No, listen. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> That's what this is for. Uh, right. In those days, uh, so did you do sort of lady, what we would call late evening activities, I suppose, uh, like a movie night? Oh, or? there was always a movie night. The uh, guy named Black used to come in and show the movies. And um, there was an amateur night. Hmm. Uh People who played the piano or played a musical instrument brought it up or sing or do different things. Uh, I'm trying to think of what other evening activities there were. Maybe like uh, intercabin sing? Was that something that was already? Intercabin sing. One night was always cookout, so you'd let the mess hall staff get off, and that would be on a, I think, a Thursday night or something like that. Steaks on Sunday on Saturday night. I don't know if he still serves steak. Uh, you know the they don't, and it's because the kids' tastes have changed. Now that that sort of big meal, we don't do it every week, but we do ribs. Mm-hmm. Um, ribs is sort of the big meat meal now, and um, but the the sort of classic steak meal is not oh. part of the. I remember helping Al. We had in the dining room cooking steaks. And Katie Aircook uh, was there for so many years. Katie and Martin Evans. Mm-hmm. I've heard that name. I have heard those names okay. for sure. But uh, the Katie was a wonderful cook, made wonderful banana cream pie. <laughs> it was a, <laughs> one of her special things that we used to love having that. Mm. Um, and was Otto already there as well? Otto the baker? Oh, he Otto came later. He I comes mean, later. He came later, but uh, yeah, I'm, mm. I'm not sure when he came. But there was a head of baker. Al prided himself on serving the best food of any camp in the country. Mm. He had that reputation. Go to Felser Brothers for his meats and Holub Company for all the dry goods and so on. And then Shodash, C-H-O-D-A, it came in every, a truck would come in every day with uh, fresh fruits and vegetables. Mm. And that would come in. I think they came out of someplace in northern Wisconsin. Shodash, cheap. It's funny how these names come to you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that's still the name, but I'll say that was it anyway. Sure. Do you have your name on any plaques? Oh, I guess a couple of plaques. I never won Collegiate Week. In all mm. the years I was there, I never won Collegiate Week. But I think some track teams we, we did and maybe a few. And I think we used to do the um, dramatics and make a plaque for mm. dramatics. Sure. I was involved with that. Uh when I was camp manager, I was camp manager from 1946 to 52. Okay. And I don't... I, I don't think that's a role we necessarily call that anymore. Yeah. What, what did that entail? What entailed was uh, mainly a shopper. I would go in town and buy fresh fruits and vegetables with words delivered by Herd at Shodesh. 
and uh, get the mail mm-hmm. and do the town shopping, you know, gotcha. do things in town, uh, uh, take kids to the hospital or something like that sure. if it was necessary. But I was in contact with town. And at that time, with the Halperins, who was no longer there, they had a big grocery store. But uh, going to town was fun and got to know the townspeople very, very well. Uh, and uh, Johnson was the photographer at that time. Mm-hmm. And he, used to, he I don't know if they're still. I think Johnson Photography is still there. I'm sure it's so, the son oh, or the oh, grandson it's not, it's or whatever. Not the same of course, one, because but, he was an older man at the yeah. time. But he would take the pictures, uh, the camp picture every mm-hmm. year. And. Uh, I guess, uh, I don't know, are there movies taken now at camp? Or are you uh, yeah, I am. I actually, uh, we film, I'll film 150 hours of tape over this, or not tape anymore, but um, at least 150 hours worth of footage over the summer, and we cut it up and do uh, an end-of-the-year yearbook, a video yearbook. Oh, really? Yeah. And then we'll do <laughs> sort of teaser videos and stuff all through the year, and of course, Collegiate Week is the big, so when the coaches are picked, we film all that, mm-hmm. and we do a video and then the assistant coaches are picked and we yeah in fact <laughs> two years ago i was came up visiting with uh, and steve and i went over to camp at the campfire where oh. they had chose the uh, teams or the coaches or yeah. whatever it was <laughs> very different than what we did then i'm sure how do they pick the campers are they still that problem of not being picked last or something well like that? uh the way they fixed that is uh, now the the two coaches in the first pick go to the war room, and the war room is an off-site location. It's not at camp. Uh, and collectively, all of those coaches go together, and they sit, and they do the first, I think it's the first maybe 10 or 15 rounds. No, it can't be 15. The first 10 rounds, I think, they all do together. And mm-hmm. then the first pick leaves, and all the first picks go out for a little treat before they come back and start seeing the teams. Uh, and then the coaches finish the picks. They go all the way through the rest of the campers. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the term hat pick maybe still exists. Hat pick? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that is. Um, that's maybe the uh, the last few that aren't quite enough to finish one more round. And uh-huh. so guys have to pick from a hat on whether they get a guy okay. or not. Um, but they don't, the ca- campers do not know if they were a hat pick or anything like they, that. I don't believe so, no. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's set up in a way to make it so it doesn't, so they don't know. That, that, was, always don't a, that was always a problem. Gee, yeah, yeah. They sit there and they're waiting to be picked, and it's very—it's uh, not a good thing for the campers no. to have that experience. Yeah, and I think that was yeah. the root of the change was mm-hmm. to try to get away from that because guys who are picked in the middle, it just whatever. Like it, it's going to sure. a ton of guys at camp, so you mm-hmm. got to pick guys in the middle. But mm-hmm. it was really damaging, sort of, for the ones who are now. Uh, Collegiate week—it's only in the first session or second session. Only in the second, and when we moved it. It used to be the sixth week. Yeah, in Al's time, and then uh, now it's the final thing. It's the eighth week. Oh, it's the eighth week. Yeah. So the last the, week, again. the last full day of camp, we do the obstacle. We do stunt night the night before. Mm-hmm. We do the obstacle race that morning mm-hmm. slash afternoon. Uh, we do a trophy presentation, and then we go right into warrior night, mm-hmm. and then that's the end of camp. Oh my! Yeah. So warrior night. What's warrior? Warrior night, night is, uh, and I don't know how far that goes back. That's something I should be asking people. Um, so basically, it's the last night of camp. We build a, a nice campfire. The um, Braves, who will become Warriors the next year, Warriors, if they come back on staff, mm-hmm. they become Neophyte Warriors. That's announced. Any Warriors who have become official Warriors get announced. Um, and then it's a chance for anyone who wants to to kind of get you up still have the Braves? I thought they mm-hmm. was discontinued. No, the Braves, uh, the Braves still continue on. Right, I'll stop that for <coughs> many, many years ago. They must have. Oh, that's interesting. 
Yeah, because some of the parents complained my kid wasn't picked and all that type of thing, and I thought they discontinued oh. the Braves. That is interesting. That's something I haven't heard. Um, uh-huh. Now, I know that there were changes made, so it wasn't... Uh, it was no longer a popularity contest. It was a, if you did this amount of time at camp, once you got your years in to be a brave, you were a brave. Oh, that was it. Yeah. It was not, you, so it was changed, they so walked around tapped on the shoulder. We used to have the campfire, and if you're tapped on the shoulder, that meant you were selected as a oh. brave and went through, uh, uh, but it was a very selective process. I yeah. Mean, I think that yeah. was what they tried to get away from. I'm sure they yeah. would have. That's what I'm sure Alvin did not. I, I recall Al stopped me. He said he did not want this braves. It was too... Uh, uh, the kids not chosen. Hmm. You know, it was uh, they want to be. You want to be a brave. It's a very important thing. Sure, but it wasn't based on just time at camp. It was just the popularity or something like that. Yeah, but and I, as I say, I thought they stopped uh, discontinued it. And in those days, the initiation was a much different situation too. That's something that mm-hmm. was taken away. There was a little more physicality. From oh yeah, you were put on silence for the day and uh, went through different. Trying to think of what you had to do, but you—I remember I, you were on silence that day, where your day after you were, you were chosen at night around a campfire, and uh, then the following day you were on silence, and I'm not sure what you did or didn't do, but but uh, pushed a peanut across campus with your nose or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> We've talked a lot about your camp days. Talk to me a little bit about your staff days. Being a staff man, were there as a camper, were there counselors that you made a really close connection with, or as a counselor, were, were there campers that you really just... Well, I guess the difficult uh, camp cabin was cabin one. Mm. Uh, you had the bedwetters and things like that. Sure. And so being Al's nephew... He always put me in cabin one. I was a ju- <laughs> I, I was a junior counselor in cabin one, and I was a senior counselor in cabin one. Uh, and in those days, cabin one could be as young as five or six years old. Still, uh, unusual, unusual. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. There were some six year olds, but uh, a, a few. Uh, Alan Klein, as I say, was there when he was five years old, but mm-hmm. he only he came up to visit and he stayed for a week or something like that. Uh, but. Um, yeah, that we. Uh, I was in cabin. I think all my camp time as a counselor was really rather limited because when I came back after the war, I was not a counselor. I was camp manager, and I mm. I lived in the uh, the um, lodge ah. or what do we call that yeah. today? Yeah, Called the lodge. lodge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the head counselor was had one room, and I had the other room, uh, and that was the time. A lot of time with. Uh, Sid, uh, Sid Novak. Sid Novak was uh, there, uh, but other head counselors were guys like Richie Berkson or Eli Sudik, and maybe some of the old names of kid counselors who go back. But uh, my camp, my um, counselor experience was uh, 1940, 41, 42. I was probably a counselor, and then I went to service hmm. in 43. So I was not there for. It was a relatively short time, but it was in cabin one. It was my camping and my counselor experiences <laughs> in putting the sheets out to dry. <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't give the names of those campers who wet their, wet their beds at night. Uh, but uh, a few did that. Mm. What's the youngest camper today? Uh, nowadays, um, it's very rare to go below nine. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It's not that it never happens, but it's pretty rare. And so for us, um, the the first age group, the Peach League, are basically 10 and 11-year-olds. So if someone's going to be 9 or younger, they have to be able to be able to play sports with the 10 or 11-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So if a kid's a little bigger or... And the oldest camper today was... Oldest camper is 16. 16. Um, I am my co-counselors run cabin 14, which is the dad's lodge. Dad's lodge. And that's where the 16-year-olds are. Okay. Doesn't uh, what's his name? Who's been there for a number? Elliot of Friedman. Elliot. Was he? Is he, he was. He and I were co-counselors for many, many years. Oh, is that it? Mm-hmm. And then a few years ago, he moved out of the cabin, and so now where is he? Uh, he lives in the lodge, actually, in the oh, camp does? manager bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it all comes full circle. Yeah, I known him for known knew his parents very well. Mm. They were good friends of ours. Uh, I don't know what else to tell you. I'm just trying to think of things. It is uh, lots of changes, but really. Again, that wonderful spirit, which I can talk about the Ojibwe spirit. Which sure, certainly. We well, you, you mentioned post-camp. Yeah. And let me ask you about that. So I uh, I was at camp for a number of years before mm-hmm. I ever stayed for post-camp. And, mm-hmm. you know, you hear about it, but you're like, well, I don't oh, know yeah. what that is. Uh, and these days, American staff don't stay. It's primarily the international staff that we have um, during the season will just stay and work post-camp. Oh. So I'm really the only American staff that stays. But oh, really? The first time I did it, I fell in love right away because <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. And there's mm-hmm. families who've been here since the 50s continuously and all mm-hmm. this kind of crazy mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so I really love post camp. So I wanted to make sure that post camp really got to be a part of this project, too, that it mm-hmm. was reflected, too, because post has been there pretty oh, much yeah. as long as camp has been there. Right. Uh, after, since camp, we always had, afterwards, people came up and just spent some time. Yeah. In fact, uh, just experience. Special group of friends, uh, which I was not a part of at that time when post-camp post first started. Mm. Uh, but I would have friends up, things like that, and spend. And they'd help take the pier out because you have to take the pier out of the water. Oh, right. That's, that's right. Putting the pier in. The pier that wasn't was, permanent back the then. The pier was not permanent. Oh. <laughs> and you had to take that out and put it in. And so he has some of his friends that give him a, a week at camp, but you had to put that pier in and do some. <laughs> and it wasn't always that easy either. And it could be the early part of June uh, when we did it. Uh, we cold, could be cold. Oh, yeah. yeah. It could still be pretty cold. chilly in that yeah. lake in June. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but the post-camp, uh, sort of the experience itself was, I think, probably pretty similar. Like several meals a day and oh yeah three meals a day and you participate in sports you have there'd always be a, a baseball game and a lot of tennis uh mm. with at post camp and that and just the camaraderie of uh, living a, a very relaxed life up in the north woods uh, a lot of on the waterfront use the uh, do the water skiing and but water skiing uh Yes, we have water skiing starting back in the early 50s. Mm. Uh, not much before that, but in the early 50s, we started water skiing. I remember when Al bought his first couple of bikes, he had the paddle bikes. Mm. Uh, I've I, seen pictures of those. Those yeah, are amazing. Uh, we had those. <laughs> I had a couple of those. My mother used to love to ride this. My mother used to stay at camp with us. At, uh, that was Pearl's sister. Mm. But... Uh, yeah, postcast is still going on, I guess, is mm-hmm. it not? Yeah, still going strong. You talk in terms of the international staff. We never had anything such as international mm. staff. Everyone was uh, local, kids from colleges uh, in the local area, or not sure. necessarily local. Sam Rowe came from New York, and I never knew how Sam and Al got together, but he was uh, uh, the waterfront coach and did a very good job. 
Yeah, it's hard to imagine uh, with today's sensibility how you would hire anyone outside of the state without mm-hmm. the internet or mm-hmm. without you know some yeah. way to email people. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that you would literally just put this past fall. And it's the second time we got together with Mike Nussbaum. Mike Nussbaum mm. is one of our stars. Have you spoken to Mike? I have not, and that's another person that we've had trouble getting contact information for. Yeah, that the, I might have difficulty with Mike, though. Uh, we had lunch with him at Norton's, mm. and there was uh, Bob Holub, uh, Mike, Mort Omen, another name from the past, uh, Dick Guilford, about a half dozen of us uh, had lunch with Mike Nussbaum, and our, our hero, our star, you know. <laughs> He's quite famous in Chicago. I yeah, He's absolutely. A, I, uh, a wonderful actor. The more I get to looking around, the more I'm yeah. seeing stuff about him. Yeah. Went to see his last play at the Goodman Theater and little sent a note back that we're out. And he came running out and said hello, and we spent a few minutes in the lobby afterwards, after the show. I know we're wrapping up a little bit. Yeah. You got to go. Just a couple quick ones. The yeah. one thing I like to ask everyone is: so now that you're a, finally a grown up after all these yeah. years, <laughs> um, what would you say has been Camp's influence on your life? The Camp's influence on my life, uh, the development of friendships through Camp, has been an important part of my life. Really, uh, when we go think back, uh, some. A dear friend today is is Bob Holub, something like that, and, uh, and Alan Hirschfield, who I uh, met at camp, is a dear friend. They developed friendships for me, which are lasting a lifetime. Here I am, ninety one. I still have, and when they get together, we talk about Ojibwe, you know, mm. that that type of thing. And to see that my nieces, uh, my nephews, are been associated with camp also for many years, and Steve, of course, and. Uh, uh, who's very gung-ho on, on Ojibwe. Absolutely. Have you been to his house? And- uh, I, you know, I have not, um, mm-hmm. but he invited me over. We, after we had our talk, he invited me to come over, mm-hmm. so I'm going to go up in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be nice to do. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I just uh, I think the spirit of good competition, you know, people uh, said, oh, Ojibwe was too competitive, you know, and it's been a complaint for... 90 years or how long is that going on? <laughs> but I think competition is good. I think people learn from competition. I mean, it's, it's not pushed that much. It, yes, it maybe it goes overboard a little bit, but not that much. Mm. And I think it's important to learn. We live in a competitive world. And, uh, and, and to learn solid, good competition uh, in sports, but carry through in life too. And I think that's an important lesson that we learned from, from Ojibwe. Absolutely. So it's... Uh, and as I say, it's uh, it's been part of my family too. So that's that's a part of it also. All my boys went. To, uh, my two boys went to Ojibwe, and uh, been an important part of their life. Jim, my oldest, didn't go as many years as my younger son Andy. I think went for probably about eight or nine years. Mm. Are there and are there grandsons? No grandsons that have went, went to Ojibwe. Mm. They, the one grandsons that were uh, from Andy, they moved out east uh, when he, they were younger, and so they went to a camp called Winnebago out in uh, Maine. Oh, we won't hold that against huh? them. We won't hold that against them. <laughs> there were some. There have been some Gilberts there in my time, so I didn't know if maybe they were related oh, or. It could be. They probably are. The Gilberts would be just part of the history of, of Ojibwe. If you want to hear the story, about absolutely, Pearl, absolutely. I know it was uh, 
Well, this happened to be with the, uh, we used to have powwows on the beach and the Braves and all that. Sure. And we had arranged to have a wire coming down from the tree, the, one of the big trees on the, on the front, on the lakefront. And uh, we had a cloth soaked in alcohol, in kerosene, mm-hmm. and it would slide down and start the fire. You know, that was a very, very dramatic type nice, start yeah. for the whole thing. It was a great <laughs> idea to go and do this. Anyway, uh, I was in charge of that, uh, doing that, and I was standing in back there watching. He gave a signal, they lit the f- thing, and it slides halfway down, and the flame goes out. And I said, oh, shit. <laughs> and with this, my Aunt Pearl, and Pearl, <laughs> by the way, Pearl is by Al's by uncle. Sure. Pearl, and she said, Sonny! See me in the office tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, it actually has, she says, you don't swear at camp like that. Never use that type of language in front of the kids and all that type of thing. So that was an experience, but I never <laughs> forgot that. I said, oh, shit. And she, Pearl was standing right in back of me. Oh. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> anyway, a little funny when you mentioned cursing. Yeah, absolutely. Al didn't like too much cursing at camp. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for this. I well, really appreciate you taking the time. But nice meeting you, Chris. You Good luck well. in the project. Oh, thank you so and much. I-